0: Do you remember the story of Emily by Thornton Wilder? Emily, aged 26, arrives at the graveyard of our town to find that the inhabitants who have preceded her have now different views of life's ambitions and aims than before. Emily asks for permission to return and live just one day. They warn her against it. But at last she's given permission. She would go back and live Just one day. Everything would be the same on that day, with this exception, that she only would be aware that it's only for one day. She asked for her 12th birthday, and so now she finds herself back in her home at the very beginning of that day. Her mother's too occupied over the stove, and her father's just come home from a business trip, and everyone is so tired that she is hardly noticed. She is the only one who's aware of the preciousness of the passing moments. The others don't know. Emily can't stand it. Soon she cries out, Mother, look at me. Mother, I've been dead for 14 years. We're together now. We can be happy together now. Look at me. But of course they can't hear her, because she's not allowed to change anything, and she's the only one that knows the moments are so few that she has but one day. Emily sobs, and the dream fades, and she's back in the graveyard, and she cries out, Earth, Earth, you're so wonderful. Does nobody realise you while they live? Does no one understand the preciousness of the passing moments? Then one of her companions in the graveyard says, Emily, living, is to be preoccupied in the clouds. It's to wander up and down, trampling on the feelings of people. It's to squander time as though one had a million years. Emily, that's living. And sadly, so it is for most. That's the tragedy in the lives of so many of us, that we never really live. We never truly live. We slaughter the now at the price of the future we cause every present moment to abdicate its throne, to take off its halo, to lose its glory, to be swallowed up in the hopes about tomorrow or the memories of yesterday. What a strange little procession is our life. The young boy wishes that he were grown up into a big boy. The big boy wishes he were grown up into an adult. And the grown-up adult wishes to be married. And the one who's married longs for retirement and when at last that time has come and he looks back over the landscape of his life he becomes aware that he's missed living a chill wind seems to blow over him then and then only does he become aware that life is in the living in the tissue of every day and every moment here is our great sin our great folly we have lost the real presence of life we've lost it in our racing toward the future we're persuaded by the devil himself that the future is better than any present can only be much brighter much easier much more time in the future for love and to serve and to dedicate and to consecrate or to rest or to give or to do but it's all a deception Emily was broken hearted because her family did not take the time to even see each other. Her father was too tired, her mother was too preoccupied. Are there not plenty of mothers like Emily's mother? Plenty of fathers like Emily's father? We've lost the present. We've bidden it farewell. We've accepted instead a future that never dawns. I've been guilty of this so many, many times. But notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 17, and verse 24. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Wisdom, the things that make the stability, the happiness and the joy, are right nearby for the person who has understanding. But the fool doesn't know that. The fool's eyes are on the ends of the earth. Tomorrow, when I'm grown up, when I'm a big boy, when I'm retired, when my work's over, fool's eyes on the ends of the earth but compare psalm 118 34 this is the day which the lord hath made we'll be glad and rejoice in it this is the day not tomorrow there is no tomorrow never never the future we chase is immediately succeeded by another future as soon as we reach it and that by another and that by another there is no realization of a future time there's only ever this moment. This is the moment the Lord has made. We shall be glad and rejoice in it. But the fool's eyes are in the ends of the earth. The fool doesn't know. The fool is preoccupied. They will love later, and serve later, and choose later, and thank later, and rest later, and worship later, and give their hearts later. So they think. But they'll never do it. For the fool's eyes are on the ends of the earth, and he never gets there. But for the person that has understanding, wisdom is before him or her, in front of him or her, immediately there. This is the day. This is the moment. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush is aflame with God. Every moment is God's. He who doesn't find happiness in the here and now will never find it. If we don't rest and love and serve and give and thank, in the now we'll never do it. We murder life moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, because of the folly of sin in our members. We long for the distant scene. We're convinced tomorrow will be better than today. This is a lie. It'll not be better than today. It'll be as today. It'll be the harvest we're sowing today. This is the day the Lord has made. You remember that person that looked out across the valley? out of her window and saw the house with golden casements on the other side? She made the long pilgrimage and then found, as she looked back across the valley, that her own home had the reflections of the glory of the sun. This is the day. Now is the day of salvation. This is the welcome time. Unto you is born this day a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, Today, what it is called today, come, the Bible is full of today. If we believe today in Christ as our Saviour and representative, we receive eternal life today, the very moment we believe. And it's a life that never ends. And it's a resurrected life. It's a life of ascension. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ as we exercise faith in Him. While the Bible has history to remind us and prophecy to strengthen us, it's today the Bible dwells upon. It. The present moment's the moment of salvation, the only one of which we can be sure. But how often we postpone living. We say so often we don't have time, and that's true, we don't. Time has us. We don't set our clocks, they set us. It's the great dictator. We carry it with us, we adore it, we look at it more often than we look at the ones we love. We don't set our watches. Our watches set us. The clock impales us on its relentless arms and flings us around its dial until it casts us off. And then it ticks on, but we've gone. We haven't lived at all. We've only existed. We don't have time. Time has us. It has a tick softer than your heartbeat, but it's slow dynamite. It's gradually blasting the world you and I live in because we project living to the future. Only if we can become aware that we live by deeds and not by years, that we live by thoughts and not by figures on a dial. Only then can we truly live. He lives the best, not who lives longest, but who thinks the most, feels the noblest and acts the best. He's the one who lives the most. The person who counts life by heartthrobs, by thoughts, not breaths. Oh, that God would teach it to me and to you. If we could learn it today, what a difference it would make. You know, even some worldly philosophers have had enough sense to see this. Plutarch once said this, What hinders us from eating and drinking and taking our ease now? Since we've already those things in our hands which we purpose to arrive at through seas of blood, through infinite toils and dangers, through innumerable calamities, which we must both cause and suffer. In other words, he's saying, why can't we relax now? Why must we be so tense and wait until such and such is done or such and such? We can relax now in Christ. Come unto me, he says, and I will give you rest. That's the true relaxation. That's a relaxation that will energise us and send us out to a toil that's not toilsome. Working for self or even working for Christ can be very arduous. But Christ working in us is restful we drive ourselves too much. Of course, there are other people that don't drive themselves enough. Every sermon has to be a heresy because it overemphasises one aspect and underestimates another. Much depends upon our temperament. But we must admit there are many that do drive themselves too much. A great Australian preacher and essayist, F.W. Borum, once wrote an essay called My Tobacco, and not because he believed in tobacco. Yet he gave an eulogy to tobacco and said, what a wonderful thing tobacco was, because it enabled a man to stop for a moment in the mad rush of life. It enabled, he said, a man to relax and to just roll it up, take it between the lips and just casually light the match. A blessed moment of rest when one could just turn around and look and see. But then Borum said this, Of course, when I first wanted to swim, I wanted to use the float, but my instructor said, if you use that, you'll never learn. Now, says Borum, tobacco is one of those floats. We ought to learn to stop and to look around and live in the present without such aids as tobacco. And then he gave this poem. I haste no more at dawn or when the day is done. The sun comes calmly to his place. I've learnt the lesson of the sun. I haste no more, The spring and autumn earth decrees, The leaves shall bud, the leaves shall fall, I've learnt the lesson of the trees. I haste no more, But flood or earth as it may be, The ocean answers to the moon, I've learnt the lessons of the seas. I haste no more, Whate'er, whoe'er is mine, these must, on God's ways, meet me in God's time. I've learnt the lesson, and I trust. I that you and I might learn to trust. To learn the lesson is to live in God's now. Did you know that the Bible has two words for time? One of these is a word that means time as a quantity. The other is a word that means time as a quality. There's a big difference between these. Most of us are too involved in the first sort of time, quantity. But it's the other one that's important. When the Bible says now is the acceptable time, it uses the second word. When Jesus said to Jerusalem, 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 thou knewest not the time. He didn't mean the quantity time, but the quality time. They knew what year it was. They knew what month it was. They knew what day it was. They didn't know what time it was on God's clock. Quality time, that's the opportune time. The precious moment when God has a plan for us. When he's got someone right there that we're to love or to encourage or to help. When he's put a duty so close to us, we have to stumble over it to avoid it. That's the opportune time. The time to have our eyes open for God's moments. There's only one way to learn, only one way to learn the preciousness of time. We're to seek every day the quality of that day. We're to regard every day as complete in itself. Look upon every day as everything that must be done in life is to be done in that day. Of course, I don't mean a four-year college course or something like that. I mean working, worshipping, resting, loving, exercising, giving, serving, all the really important things. They're to be done every day. Don't postpone any of them. Don't wait till you love, or till you worship, or until you give. Do it today. You know the time that's marked by a clock is artificial time. You know that, don't you? The Babylonians invented our time mechanisms. But God has a unit of time, and that's the day. The day was meant to be a miniature of life. If you take a little convex mirror and hang it up by the ceiling at an angle to the wall, in that little mirror, Everything in the room will be reflected, everything, in miniature. So if you take one day and follow a man or a woman or a boy or a girl through that day, you'll know exactly what that person is. The germs of the life are in the day. The morning represents youth. What the day will be depends so much on how the very early morning, the first hour is spent. With God or just on self? What the life is to be depends on what the youth is, largely. Very few people, when they're past their prime, experience a transformation. It's possible, of course, by God's grace, but it's what happens in youth that's mainly important, as it is what happens in the first hour of your waking day that's significant. And after that first hour of worship, then we come to the tedious business of work, just as the youth must come to maturity later, until the noonday sun comes, with its brilliance and its strength and its heat. And we know the tiredness and the weariness of increasing problems and decreasing strength. That's coming on now towards old age, represented by the hours of the afternoon. As the sun goes down in the west, and so finally we shall go aside, we will float down and divest ourselves of our clothing. And then in darkness and in stillness and quietness we black out, the night's rest is the obvious symbol of death, as rising the next morning represents resurrection. So each day is meant to be a miniature of life, and the only way we can learn to live a ride is to treat it that way. Look on each day as complete in itself. Be the day weary, be the day long, at length it ringeth to evensong. Even the martyrs could sing that. Anyone can carry his burdens for one day. Anybody can do his work well for one day. Anybody can be sweet and patient and loving and pure for one day. You may have heard of Dr. William Osler, a famous physician. You know what made him famous? When he was just 21, he was worried and frustrated and upset about his exams. And then he read this. Our main duty is not to perceive what lies dimly in the distance, but to do what lies immediately at hand. That, my friend, changed the life of William Osler. He learned to live in day-tight compartments, and so should we. Anyone can live for one day. That's what Jesus meant when he said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Give us this day our daily bread. Sufficient unto the day. Seek God's help for today's burdens. He won't help you with tomorrow's, not until tomorrow. Learn to live one day at a time. And say with the famous Englishman, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. I do not ask to see the distant scenes. One step's enough for me. The scripture tells us that Satan tried to show Christ the distant scenes. All the kingdoms of this world, the great panorama, and how all the kingdoms would worship him if he, Christ, would fall down before Satan. It's Satan who lures us to launch out into the future like that. But Christ says today, today, now is the appointed time, today. The future never comes. There's always a future beyond the future and another one beyond that. We need to learn to live like Jesus. He knew how to live. No tension, no postponement, no jangled nerves. He did everything in its right season and in its right hour. He knew how to live. With him today was ever the moment of supreme crisis. He often used that term. Now is the judgment of this world. Today. He could say to a penitent thief on a very black day, verily I say to thee today. Today. Jesus knew that every day was God's day. God's time. When a certain wealthy man came to Jesus. Jesus knew that this man was living to pile up property and goods for tomorrow. Jesus wanted him to follow him today. He told a parable about another wealthy man and called him a fool because that day, that very night, his soul was to be required of him. It could be the night that God requires our life. You may remember the story of Booker T. Washington His book is called Up From Slavery. It tells how the Negro folks with whom he associated in early years often had in their old homes expensive clocks, but not enough cutlery. They might only have one fork for the family, very little food, but these great expensive clocks. They'd been led astray by the stupidity of their white neighbours, who, of course, put so much stress on the measurement of time and its measuring, but not enough stress On the living. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't like that? He wasn't too tired when he sat on the well to notice the woman who was an outcast who had to come at noonday because she didn't want people to see her. He wasn't too too tired to notice her and to talk to her. When I'm tired, I avoid people. But Jesus didn't do that. You remember on another occasion when he was on the way to heal the daughter of Jairus, someone touched him. He wasn't too busy to stop. He stopped. He wanted to know who'd touched him. He really did know. He wanted her to confess it and increase her blessing. And when she came trembling, he said, Daughter, be of good cheer. My faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't too tired to notice the moment. Not too busy. Not too emotionally involved. Not like you and me. My friends, the great word for Jesus should be the great word for us. Today, today. When Jesus was walking into Jericho, he knew there was a lonely man waiting in a tree to see him. He got to that tree and he looked up, almost gave that lonely man a heart attack because he noticed him and called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Today, salvation's come to your house. You know, when Jairus heard that his daughter was dead, he sent a message, don't trouble the master. But Jesus is not so preoccupied with fulfilling his ambitions that he doesn't know what's happened. And he says, Look, don't worry. Fear not. Believe only and she'll be made whole. There was the widow of Nain at the time of of the funeral of her son. Jesus is about to raise him. But first of all he says, Weep not. Weep not. How wonderful if we could be like Jesus. We can become like him, not by trying, but by looking to him. And when we do look to him, we won't neglect the now. Instead of making promises for the future, we'll serve in the present. You know, the greatest sin, my friends, is the sin of neglecting the now. The present opportunity. It may be the last opportunity we'll ever have. Just imagine if this world suddenly heard that atomic warfare was about to break out. And there was only five minutes more of life for all of us. Just five minutes. I tell you, all the telephone booze, all the telephones in the homes would be lifted. People would be giving messages to say they love somebody else at the other end of the line. They would suddenly see that love is the most important thing in the world. We know the parable of the Good Samaritan. you know what its meaning is? Or much meaning. But part of it is about the sin of neglect. The priest's sin, the Levite's sin, was a sin of neglect. They hadn't broken any of the Ten Commandments outwardly, but they'd broken all of them. Because they've neglected someone in the image of God. That's the great sin. Not to love aright. Today. Today. You remember the story of the judgment Jesus told? In Matthew 25. How when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Everyone would be gathered before him. And then parted the sheep from the goats. And you know what he said? To those that went to the left. Inasmuch as he did it not. They weren't damned for anything they'd done. They were damned for some things they hadn't done the things they left undone. The main thing we leave undone is the duty of the moment. My friends, don't postpone living. Don't postpone salvation. Don't neglect the present Christ who's knocking at your heart's door today and has been for many a day. Perhaps he's saying to you, dare you to use the whip or the crown of thorns? You could not hurt me more than when you just forget that I am here. They pierced my hands and sides The most in ignorance, they pierced my hands and sides, but you, my friend, you avoid my glance and place within my heart a stone. There's the main duty that we neglect. The duty of responding to the love of Christ, who right this moment is hovering over us in sympathy and care. The duty of resting in him, who is present, loving, calling, pleading. He says, I stand at the door and knock. That's how near he is. Come down out of that tree of tomorrow's hopes. Come down from that tree of yesterday's regrets. Come down, he says. Come down. Our great sinners neglect. We neglect the plea of a present saviour who gave up heaven, who went through hell for our sakes, who did it that he might be able to say over every one of us, Today is salvation come to thy hands. My friends, enable him to say to you today, Remember what Abner said? Earth, Earth, you're so wonderful, and it is because of the invitation of Christ. Does nobody realize you while they live? Does no one understand the preciousness of the passing moments? Do you understand, my friend? Today, God bless you.